Hey, hey, before we, we wade out into this, into this Easter message together that I'm so excited for us to, to share, and I, I just want to give you a, a little preview for, for next weekend. We, we have on our calendar throughout the year what we call Welcome Weekends, and uh, it's, there are weekends that we set aside to talk about who we are as a church, to talk about things that we value, to, to, to maybe introduce you to a little bit deeper into, uh, into who we are as a congregation and our eight-year journey. And so if you're visiting tonight and you don't have a church that you call home, next weekend is going to be a great weekend for you to come uh, to learn. The, the entire service is designed for you, and then we all go out and share a meal together at a family-friendly restaurant. So if, if you've got questions about that, then you can see anybody with a blue shirt on. You can see Jenna. Jenna, raise your hand. She's our director of operations, and uh, she can give you some more information uh, about that. So I, we are excited. We are, thank you for being here and sharing your Easter weekend with us. So I think I've got a first slide that's going to pop up there in just a minute. Uh, this, this, is, this is the title of our, of our message tonight. It's, it's entitled, He Comes. He comes, and, uh, and, and so much of Easter talks about the resurrection of Christ, and, and we are going to spend some time on that, but at the Elam conference that we were just at uh, recently, I really felt like God spoke to me about this idea of the revelation that he's coming back, and so we're going to be spending a lot of time in that tonight as well. So, all right, we like a little participation here at the City Life Church, so if you're visiting with us, don't be shy, but I thought we would kind of get our hearts and our minds moving in the right direction by thinking about some Easter traditions. So let me ask this. How many people grew up with an Easter basket? Yeah? Anybody grew up with an Easter? Yes. Yeah. Now, how many of you do Easter baskets for your children now? Yeah. It is shameful, isn't it? I know, because we don't either. We don't do an Easter basket for our kids, and they are getting ripped off. Right? I mean, we had... Easter baskets that were so big, it made our dentists cringe, just knowing, right? The baskets were kept in the attic. They were the, You could have climbed in the basket, and we knew that those things were coming down once a year. We would go to bed, and then our mom and dad would stay up late, and they would just pack as much candy into that Easter basket as they could. What, what about some other traditions? Somebody else. Maybe uh, I, I might not be able to see. I think that's Denise back there. Say it loud. Ham. Easter ham. Like ham dinner. I know. I know. Sandy. New dress, patent leather shoes, and a few other sewing things that I didn't understand. All right. Kevin Garcia. What, what kind? Pork fajitas. Nice. Making me hungry. Pork. I think I saw a hand over here, April. Coloring Easter eggs. Coloring, like real eggs. Your hard boiled the eggs. Yes, I know. And then hiding them in Easter egg hunts. Instead of hiding Easter eggs, my parents would hide peanut M&Ms all over the Peanut M&Ms. And they're sitting right here? And you find them so excited, and you still eat them because they do not go bad. They do not go bad. Somebody else. Anybody else, Marvin? Family cookouts. Family cookouts, indeed. Anybody doing a family cookout this weekend? Easter tradition? Yeah? All right. So kind of tracking with Sandy's theme, although mine was a little bit different from hers, is that we got a new outfit as well, oftentimes for Easter. And I grew up in, in the Episcopal Church, and so Easter was a big day for us. And so we would get a new outfit. Sometimes it was from the thrift store, but it was new to us, you know what? And so, so I got some pictures sh to, to share with you. You ready? Right here, baby. I'm just saying before high socks were in, I was setting the trend. Yes. I almost wanted to go out and find some red high socks to wear with my skinny jeans. but And at some point, you do grow out of the one-piece one, one jumper. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. As you'll notice as these pictures scroll through, that there was a bowl that my mother used to cut my hair, and I think she still serves salad in that bowl, 
even now today. So, all right, that's my beautiful sister, Lee. All right, here we go. Next year, coming along, coming along. Yeah, see? I know. I graduated from the one-piece jumper and went right to the high waters, right? Right to the high waters. But the rounded collar is still making the appearance, right? And so the, another tradition that we would have, and I don't, they weren't in the first one, then we have different flowers in our hands in the next picture that you're going to come. But usually for Easter, we would take daffodils that grew in the yard, and my mother would wet a paper towel, right? And then she would wrap tinfoil around it. Anybody else do that? And you would bring your daffodils to church with you. It was absolutely, absolutely beautiful. All right, so, so this, I saw this picture, and I knew I had to include it because it, it was the, the inception of bow tie swag. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And the three-button blazer I would like to point out. I would like to point out. And if I can find a pair of pants like that today that fit and my wife would let me wear them, maybe, maybe next Easter. I'm just saying, if you stick around for a year, if you stick around for a year. And I don't know what my mother was thinking letting my sister wear that dress, but that's another story for another time. All right, so, so I drove. This was, this was all spontaneous inspiration. I woke up Friday morning and told Vanessa I'm driving to Richmond. I, I got to find some pictures. So I drove all the way to Richmond early Friday morning, and, and me and my mom had these stacks of photo albums out, and she was opening up chests, and we were pulling out stacks of pictures, and guess what I found? Mm-hmm. I made a reference not too long ago about a prom picture, right? Yeah. 1985, baby. This is, this is how we rolled in East Richmond. Are you, are you ready for it? I don't know if you are. People might get up and leave when this next picture comes out. You might. Are you ready? All right. One, two, three. Yeah, here it is. That's right. There is a very soft mustache in that picture I'd like to point out. I know you can't see it. I know you can't see it, but it was there. And uh, this was the, my, my, my girlfriend for the last two years in high school, Andrea Marshall. It is a mullet. Somebody just said, and I've got another picture that's going to help because I was very proud of my hair that I don't have anymore. And so uh, my bow tie was made by the same seamstress, seamstress that made her dress. So you got the bow tie theme passing through. But here, here's the mullet right here. Yeah. Yeah. See? There was a lot of time spent to get that hair. I think I'm bald today because of how much time I spent with a blow dryer in my, in my adolescence. Got the, you know, the cut, tailed tuxedo. So, so why, why am I showing you these pictures, right? Because there's intentionality to everything we do here at the City Life Church. Is that every area of your life, you have an expectation of progression. You have an expectation that in your career you want it to progress. In fact, some of you have probably turned down jobs because there was no upward mobility. If you are married, you have an expectation of progression. That in your journey of intimacy with your wife, that it's going to go farther. It's going to go deeper. If you are a parent, you are expecting progression in their behavior, right? And all the parents said... It, yes, right? We, 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 we live our lives with this expectation of progression, our own personal sense of style, right? We should be leaving some things behind. If you're not, then we'd like to set up some counseling with the young people for you and your wardrobe, right? That there's a, a, there, we, we want to progress. We don't want to stay the same. But spiritually, for too many of us, we decide to stay stuck where we are. 
every other area of our life moves forward. Every other area of our life progresses. In fact, when it doesn't, we get frustrated. When it doesn't, we place demands on ourselves. When it doesn't, we reach out to other people for help and for conversation. And I believe that as, as we work through this message tonight, that some of you are going to get unstuck. That, that some of you are going to get shaken loose out of the place of spiritual complacency that you have settled into, and we're going to get free together tonight. All right, so usually I don't ask you to say things because that irritates me when people who speak do that. So my one promise to you, I'll never make you say anything to the person that's sitting next to you, right? Because usually when that happens, I don't do it, right? We, Lisa Stevens is back there saying we were at the conference and that happened so often and Lisa and I, we, 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 we're not participating in this moment, right? The other thing that irritates, this is just, a, this has nothing to do with the message. So, so not everything we do is intentional, I just lied, but I'm confessing it to you right now. So... So the other thing that irritates me is when the, 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 the person that's speaking is, is begging you to participate, right? And they always say the phrase that I'm preaching better than you're listening, right? And whenever they say that, I want to say, well, apparently you're not, right? Because we would be. So, all right, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not, not, but if you're comfortable, I'm just, and if, you're com- if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to invite you to say this prayer with me as we move out in. But just if you're comfortable, say, Holy Spirit, come with power. Live your life in me. Come on, one more time. Holy Spirit, come with power and live your life in me. Father, as we open up your word tonight together on this resurrection weekend, as we, as, as we open up the sacredness of the truths of your holy word, would you not open us up with them? As we get into them, would you not get into us? As, as we wade out into them, would you not wade out into us? And if everyone here has already made a vow of devotion to Christ, then Holy Spirit, you who are already in us, stir in us, shake us up, get us unstuck, and move us forward. And for anybody here tonight who's not made a vow of devotion to you, Jesus, that tonight would be their night, Easter of 2014, they would take their first spiritual breath. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together. Amen. So we're going to work through three phrases together tonight. We could get done early, we could get done late, or we could get done on time, but we're going to finish tonight. You with me? So we're going to talk about he came, we're going to talk about he rose, and we're going to talk about he comes. You can think of it if you're familiar with theater. This is going to be a three-act play, and we're going to start with he came. He came. And, and, and the idea of him coming is that there was a rescue. He came to rescue you. He came to rescue me. And we could do a whole sermon series on all the ways that we've been rescued, but we're going to focus in on one of them tonight, and it's going to build. After we talk about he came and the rescue, we're going to go to the next one, which is he rose. It's going to talk about the remind. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with he comes. It's going to be the reclaim. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. All right, so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. You can turn to Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to read a few of these verses, and then I'm going to tell a story, and then we're going to go back into the text. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We're believing that for all of ourselves tonight. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the 
scriptures and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It's a great moment of providence. He had, did not have any control over what scroll was going to be handed to him, but here he is beginning his earthly ministry at 30 years old and the text that was chosen for him was not chosen by the rabbi, it was chosen by the creator of the universe. So ever since this table got placed up here, some of you, it's been everything that you can do to not run up here and take this beach ball. Right? Am I right? Right? Especially the kids. When I was growing up, in the grocery stores, you don't see it as much anymore, but they had these huge cages that were filled with balls. Right? They were there to taunt the parent. Right? Because I'm just saying, when I was growing up, I'm still working through it. My parents never bought me one of those balls. Right? One day I'm going to buy myself one of, one of those balls. And, and so you're, every kid, you walk by and you say, in the nicest voice that you can find, right? Would you buy me one of those balls? There's something about the beach ball or that rubber, that bouncing ball. The bigger they are, the better they are. It's alluring to children. And we had some cousins growing up. They lived down in Chester, Virginia, and they had a swimming pool. And we would always love to go out to Vicky and Steve's because we would get to swim. And so we went out. We had a big lunch there at their house that day. And we were dying to get into the pool. But I grew up in the era where you knew that you would die if you swam any sooner than 30 minutes after eating your meal, right? Anybody else, right? I was convinced if water splashed on me, I would die in that moment. So we ate and we're watching the clock. We're waiting for 30 minutes to go by and our parents are sitting around and talking and there's a beach ball. It was probably smaller than this, but in my memory, it was three times as big as this. I was preschool aged and I was walking around the pool and I was just watching that ball blow in the wind and everything in me wanted to get my hands on that ball. And, and as my parents were talking and stopped paying attention to me, which I'm still working through a little bit too, is that this is very therapeutic for me tonight, if you've not figured that out already. The, the ball blew just by the gentle breeze into the deep end of the pool, and it was there, and, and, and I'm walking along beside the pool, and as a child, your arms are always longer than they really are, and you're not quite familiar with gravity yet, and so, and so I'm on the edge of the pool, and I'm thinking to myself, I could reach that ball, right? And so I'm leaning a little bit, and right? Lean and a little bit, and, and then all of a sudden I lean a little bit too much, and I'm in the drink, right? So I sink all the way to the bottom. I don't know how to swim, but I've grown up around water my whole life, and so I know that I'm supposed to hold my breath. So I'm sitting in the deep end of this pool, eight feet down. It's, it's one, of the, one of the few memories I have. Of my, like, some of you, like you can talk about memories from your early life. This is one of the few that I have as I'm sitting on the bottom of this pool, holding my breath, looking up, right, and I can see the light shimmering, and I'm just kind of still staring at the ball, wondering if I can reach it, right, from here. And, and then all of a sudden, there's this great disturbance in the water, right? Adults from 10 miles around were rushing to the pool because a child had fallen in. And, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody scooped me up, right? And swimming as fast as they can to the surface, and they sit me up on the edge of the pool. I kid you not. And the first word that came, first words that came out of my mouth was, it's dark down there, right? And I played with that ball for the rest of the day, right? Come on. But my parents have still never bought me one. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to tell my mom. She owes me a ball. Why am, I, why am I telling you that story? Because for some of you, you're here tonight, you're reaching for something that looks great and it looks grand, but it's not the thing that God has destined for you. And whenever you reach for the ball that wasn't born for you in heaven, you end up in a dark place. 
So listen to what Jesus said as he's launching his ministry. In verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I love this text because you maybe you've read these verses before and you don't think of yourself as needing rescue. You don't think of yourself as needing to be set free. You don't think of yourself as being held captive. But what I want to say to you tonight, if the life that you're living and the destiny that you're running after wasn't the destiny that God birthed in his heart for you from the beginning of time, you need to be set free from the road that you're on and find your way onto the path that God has created you for This idea of reconcile is such a huge, important word for us in the Eastern narrative. Again, we know that Jesus came to die on the cross for you and for me, that we could be reconciled to our Father. And we're going to talk about that at the end of our service tonight. But, but, But I want you to know that he came to reconcile you to lots of things. And one of the things that he came to reconcile you to is to your destiny. That one of the things that he came to reconcile you to is not just to a relationship with the divine, but to a destiny that was born in the heart of divinity. That in the foundations of the earth, God dreamed a dream for you. Not just for all of humanity as as, as part of his creation, but I mean you as a person. He knows your name. He sees your face. And he has dreamed a dream for you. And 2,000 years ago, part of what Jesus meant when he cried out, it is finished, is he was saying that nobody has to stay stuck in the life of humanity that they create for themselves any longer, that I have come to rescue them and to reconcile them to a destiny. Love Josh White and the album Absolution. I was talking to Pastor Jamie on Williamsburg campus, a pastor this, this week, and, and, and uh, we rent office space over at North Riverside Baptist Church, and Pastor Justin's office is right next to mine, and, and I told Pastor Jamie, I said, the, the youth pastor's office always has to be next to mine. I'm forever, right? Even if we have a building one day and offices, because if not, I will stay stuck in an era of music. Are you with me? And, and, and every now and then, right, Juice will, Juice will say, can I... Can, can, can I recommend some music that you might want to think about downloading, right? Because I'll be stuck in for, forever. And, and every now and then he'll be playing something. I'll wander into his office and say, hey, what's that? What's that you're playing? And then I'll get onto iTunes and download that. And so this is one not too long ago. It's Josh White. It's the album Absolution. Listen, listen to what this song says. Oh, Jesus, give me courage to confront this day. To see these intersections of grace, spirit, come over me and fill this place. Your victory is all I need. Your victory is all I need. Your victory is all I need to be. Oh, Jesus, give me rest in my unrest. I love you, Lord, but I confess. Sometimes I may sink, but you were there to rescue me. Maybe you've never fallen into a pool and sat on the bottom waiting for someone to come rescue you. But if you are chasing after a destiny that was not born into the heart of God, you're in the bottom of that dark pool today. And Jesus came and died 2,000 years ago to rescue out of that dark place and to put your feet onto the path that you were called to walk down from the foundations of the earth. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Jeremiah 29, 11 reads this way. Many of you are familiar with this great text. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. 
That should be a life verse for every person that's in here. A reminder that he has dreamed a dream for you, and Jesus paid the ultimate price that you might discover it. Even if we live the rest of our lives in earthly obscurity, the fame we seek is the fame of heaven. This, this divine destiny that was created for you and created for me, it's, it's not about fame here on this earth. You, you, may, you might think about great Christian leaders and maybe you go to a conference and there's a part of you that gets drawn into maybe the glamour of their journey and the, and the glamour and, and, and it might be that you've had a conversation with God, I want a ministry like that. You don't want a ministry like that. You want the ministry that God has for you. You don't want somebody else's destiny. You want your own destiny. And don't find yourself being drawn into the fame that earth offers even if it's a fame that someone gets from their destiny even if you live your entire life and nobody else knows your name let it be the fame of heaven that you long for and desire Hebrews 12 1 and 2 therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses what crowd the crowd that's in heaven watching us and cheering us on a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us, that he set before you, that he set before me. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He is our example for so many reasons, but he is our example this weekend on this Easter that he had a divine destiny and his entire identity was given to the fulfillment of the purpose and the same is true for you. All right, you ready for act two? All right, he rose, he rose. The remind, he rose, the remind. Dogs, rabbits, blow dryers, and Febreze. See, any story that's entitled like that, you know it's going to be good, right? I have never told the story. I've been sitting on this story for years, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, Kevin, thank you, Kevin Garcia. He's so excited up here. I'm just going to talk, like, talk to you and tell my story. <laughs> so years ago, I heard this pastor tell this story about himself. True story. So he told this story about how he was moving to a new city. He was excited. He was young, and a church had interviewed him and asked him to come to be their lead pastor. And so he packed up his family and moved to this new place with great enthusiasm and great excitement. And he just knew that that city wasn't going to be the same once they got there, right? That's the heart of every person, every pastor. They just they want to reach their city just like we want to reach our city. And so he gets there, and you know he starts with his neighborhood. And one of the things that he begins to realize is that the people in his neighborhood there, not as excited about him being there as he thought that they would be, especially the neighbor that lived right next to him. They were professed atheists, and so they got to be really good friends, but they didn't want to have anything to do with church or a conversation about God, and so it was the week leading up to Easter. It was spring break, and so the pastor and his family were going to get away for a couple of days, and they're, 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 they're packing up their car, and they realize their neighbor's coming up the driveway with a big crate, and in this crate is this really big rabbit. And so, so he says, hey, what, what, what's, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, we're not, you know, we don't do Easter and those types of things. But, you know, it's hard for our kids because, you know, all of their friends do some special things. So I thought I would surprise them and I would buy them a rabbit. And so I'm going to surprise them today. I've, you know, there's a cage that we're going to build out back together. And so, so his neighbor's thinking, this is great, right? I'm going to be able to somehow use this rabbit. And, the, and he's, God's wearing him down a little bit, right? And so, and so they go away and they've paid a, a, this pastor who's got a dog and it's, stays in the backyard and he's on a chain. He has a doghouse that he lives on where pets are 
are supposed to be on the outside. And so, and, and so, and, and so, so he's paid this teenager to come and let the dog off the chain once a day and feed and water the feed and water the dog. And he says, "Hey, the dog won't run away. You just let him run. He'll go out in the woods and play a little bit, and and then you call him. He'll come back. You put him back on the chain." And so the family goes away for the vacation. They come home, and the and the mom and their kids go upstairs to unpack everything. And the and dad goes out into the backyard to see the dog, and they, he knows the dog's playing with something. Yes, oh no, is right, right? It's white, it's dirty, and it's dead. He's tossing it up in the air and shaking it around and tossing it up in the air and shaking it around. And, and the pastor has a revelation. Good God, my dog has killed the rabbit, right? So he rushes out, true story, into the backyard, rushes out into the backyard, grabs the rabbit from the dog and rushes back into the garage and thinks to himself, what am I going to do? So he did the noble thing. He begins to cover up the crime because that's what we do when we've done something despicable. And so there's a mop sink in the garage. And so he shoves this dead rabbit, rigor is setting in, into the sink. And there's some soap. And he's scrubbing this rabbit, right, cleaning it up. There's a hairdryer out there for crafts and for paint, right? You've got a hairdryer in your garage. And so, so he's blow-drying the rabbit and hoping that his mom and his kids aren't good. They're going to be distracted by the unpacking. He's blow-drying, but he realized this thing smells. And so he grabs the Febreze or whatever they used back then and start pumping this all over the rabbit rabbit and he shoves it under his shirt and he sneaks outside and notices that the neighbor's not home yet and then he goes into the woods and into the backyard and puts the rabbit back in the cage which is what any pastor should do so he comes back in and the wife says what are you doing honey he says nothing I'm just I'm just in the garage and just so you know I'm just throwing this in for free if you're married and you call down to your husband and you say what are you doing he says nothing I'm just in the garage that's code for you should interrogate me right now so, sorry, guys, to out you, but I'm just saying it's the truth. And so, and so the next day, right, he's thinking, whoo, right, I am smart, right? So because so, he's thinking, right, the, the rabbit was out playing in the yard, and the dog must have found the rabbit and had gotten him and killed him. And so the next morning he goes out into the backyard, and he noticed that his neighbor is out there, but the rabbit is not in the cage. And he says, hey, I don't remember his name. Let's call him Bob. Bob, how, how are you guys doing? And he just had the scowl on his face. It was actually hatred on his face. And he says, Bob, what's, what's going on? I, and I, how, how's the, the rabbit doing? And, and, and that moment he catches his attention. He walks over to the fence. He said, let me tell you about how the rabbit's doing. While you were gone, that rabbit died about two days later. Dead, dead. And I'm looking, where's the pastor when I need him now, right? Because my kids, they want to have a funeral. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I've never even said a prayer in my whole life. But we muddle through it. We go out into the woods. We dig a grave. We bury the rabbit in the grave. And I am telling you, there is a neighbor that lives in this neighborhood. He is a donkey, right? Because I can't say the other word in church. And so must have seen us burying that rabbit and waited for us to go to bed. He dug that rabbit up. He shampooed, he blow-dried the rabbit, put Febreze on it, stuck it back in the cage. We woke up this morning and we thought maybe the story of Jesus' resurrection is true after all. But no, it's just a sick neighbor playing a trick on this. Now, I don't know if that pastor ever confessed. He didn't share that part of the story, which says to me he never did. I'm just saying, right? That was worth saving, wasn't it? I'm telling you. 
Psalm 73, verse 1 through 14. Truly God is good to Israel, which is a type for the church. So let's just say truly God is good to the City Life Church, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like jeweled, a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, and in their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What? What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long and every morning brings me pain. For some of you, this is your song. And it's not a funny story about an Easter that got dug up, uh, an Easter rabbit that got dug up by a dog. There is real disappointment in your life. And what I want to say to you tonight, that if you make a decision to run after a destiny that was born in the heart of divinity, disappointment is part of the journey. There are days that you're going to wake up and it's going to be as though you're a child and somebody has played a terrible trick on you. There's going to be times in your journey. Hey, there's times in my journey where we feel like people betray us and treat us poorly. Hey, that is part of the journey that we are on together. It is not a coincidence. It is not by mistake that Jesus spent as much time in the grave as he did. He could have given up his life and raised himself in the next minute, but he didn't do it that way because the disciples needed to experience something. They needed to walk through something and needed to walk through disappointment because the magnitude of their destiny necessitated a depth of character that only deep disappointment could create. And what I'm saying to you tonight is if you're facing disappointment, it's because God is making you ready because he's dreamed a big dream for you. And it requires and it necessitates a character that's much bigger than the character that you have today. And he's willing to walk you through some dark places to get you there. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Psalm 73, 28, that same psalm that we were just in. I love reading the psalms because so often they start out as a cry and they end up in a dance. Psalm 73, 28, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. This is the one who was just talking about having lost their footing. This is the one who just talked about how the place of despair is overwhelming them, but they end up in a place. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do when 
we find ourselves in a place of disappointment, hey, I understand there's a time for grieving. There's a time for sorrow. I'm not talking about being inauthentic. I'm not talking about pretending as though the place that you're in isn't hard. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying at some point you've got to say to yourself, as, as, as you spend the time that you need to in the place of sorrow that you're going to get to, there is some moment that you've got to come to where you say, my soul will bless the Lord because I know he's going to redeem this disappointment. I know that all things work to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose and if he's brought me to a place of disappointment it's because he's doing a deep work in my character to make me ready for my destiny he came to rescue you he came to rescue me to reconcile us to a destiny and he rose to remind us that he has the power to do anything in our life that he needs to do especially to help us navigate the kinds of disappointment that we're going to face as we pursue our divine destiny, and it seems that he is doing the least in our circumstances, he's doing the most in us. This is a life verse for us as a church, Psalm 27, 13, but I love that 14 is after it. 13 says, yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. The, the, another translation renders that I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if we had written this psalm for ourselves, we would have just ended it right there. But it doesn't end there. There's another verse that's tacked on. Because the psalmist writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit knew that the goodness doesn't always come tomorrow. Sometimes it comes afar off. And so verse 14 says, wait patiently for the Lord and be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. He rose to remind you and to remind me that we might be in disappointment today, but Sunday's coming. All right, Act 3. Act 3, he comes. We're in the home stretch. The reclaim. Acts 1, 10 through 11. I'm going to read this to you. Acts 1, 10 through 11. I'm going to actually start reading in verse 9. It says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee. They said, why are you standing here staring into the heavens? And they said, because you're wearing a robe and we're down here and it's awkward for us. No, that's not in there. I'm just kidding. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday... We, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let me read that again. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Now let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, first the Christians who have died will raise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. I love how it... Finish this year, the Apostle Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So encourage each other with these words. 
we had a different track that we were going to go to for the Easter message. Pastor Jamie's going to run with that tomorrow morning. So I'm just saying don't sleep in. You want to get a double dip this weekend and here and then there in Williamsburg. But when we were at the Elam Conference, the president of Elam Fellowship, Ron Bergio, did a whole message on the second coming of Christ. And the whole time he was teaching and preaching, God began to speak to me, hey, this needs to be where we're going to take the Easter message together. And I'm like, as I share so often, I'm like my conversation with God, yeah, but God, we've been studying for weeks for this last seven sayings. We've done the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. We've never done a study on the seven sayings of the people to Jesus while he was on the cross. Pastor Jamie's going to tackle that the, the next morning. But the more that Pastor Ron Bergio began to teach this, something began to stir inside of me because I don't think we talk about Jesus coming back enough. And I thought, what a great time to do it here on Easter weekend. God's a genius, right? Breathing this message into my heart. He rose, but he rose so that he can come. He comes for the reclaim. All of these slides are these beautiful pictures of barns and the sun rising. And because there is a certainty that you and I have. There is a certainty that when we wake up in the morning, the sun is going to rise. And I hope that tonight that you're going to find the same certainty that the sun is going to come. He's going to return. And even if he doesn't do it in our lifetime, let's live as though he is. For 2,000 years, generations of Christians have hungered to be the generation that does not see death. And it might not be us, but come on, if it's not us, then we're going to pass that hunger and desire onto the generation that comes after us. That we want to be a people that desperately seeks the reclaim of his coming. If he had come back yesterday, if he had come back last week, if he had come back last month, what would he have found you doing? I, I was praying this week, and I believe this isn't just a random list. I believe these are some things prophetically that God spoke to my heart. And so I'm just going to read them here tonight. How would he have found you? Would he have found you spending money that you were supposed to give? Would he have found you harboring resentment that you were supposed to forgive? Would he have found you on a business trip in inappropriate places, in your basement, looking at inappropriate things, gossiping about people instead of praying for people, unmarried yet sexually active, addicted to controlled substances? Listen to these last three. Chasing a relationship God never intended, pursuing a dream that God never created, and building a career that God never consented. And we're not going to read this verse. This is for my note takers tonight, for you to dig around in here on your own. But I love Luke 14. I was reading it just this morning and then switched out this slide a, a little bit because I know God was speaking to me. It is a powerful verse that reminds us that, that Jesus has a lot to say about immoral things that we're not supposed to do. But so often in his teachings, what you find him reminding us that it's not always the immoral things that distract us from the life that God has us. Sometimes it's the good things, but it's not the great things we've been called to. And in this list, people say they want to come and follow Jesus. He says, all right, let's go. And they say, hey, but I've got to go do this, and I've got to go and do that. And there's not one thing in this list that's immoral. There's not one thing in this list that anything inside of us would say that's not right. If anything, we think Jesus is being unfair to this people because these are noble things that they're going to give themselves to. Now, this text gets misused sometimes for churches to talk people into irresponsible living, and that's not what the text is about. This text is to remind us that there will be times that Jesus brings us to places of decision, where we've got to choose between the eternal and the temporal. That there's going to be times where Jesus steps up into our lives and say, you're reaching for a ball that God didn't ask you to reach for, and I'm here to protect you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm not here to rob you of the good things. I'm here to save you from the good things so you can have the great things that my Father in heaven has dreamed for you from the foundations 
of the earth. Titus 2.13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. This is the context of all of our decisions. This is the context of all of our choices. How do I want to be found? In death or in the life when he comes to reclaim us, if that's my generation, how do I want him to find me? And some of your greatest decisions in life will have nothing to do between the good and the bad. It will have everything to do between the good and the great. Two of the most important decisions that I have ever made in my life were in 1999 and in 2007. And neither one of them had to do with any sin in my life. My life's just like yours. It's a rotten story, right? In 1999, Vanessa and I had been married for, for well, this is a lot of pressure, right? No, I know the answer. It's only two years. Right? And so, and so we've been married for a couple of years. And so, so we knew at some point we wanted to have a family. I'm much older than she is. I'm seven years older. Than, I get points for saying that. I'm seven years older than she is. It's a points-based system, man. And so, so I'm much older, older than she is. And so when we first got married, I, I wanted to have kids right away. And, and so she said, I, I need to wait, right? I, you know? And so as, the, as we were married, we began to flip-flop, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like well, because I'm enjoying my life with this woman who's the love of my life and still is today. So I'm getting lots of points right now. They're racking up, right? They're racking up. <laughs> And so, and, and so, and she's saying, I think we should have kids sooner, and so we can't afford kids right now. And so, and so I, I'm at my job one day, and, and I've been in this career of mine for about 10 years, and, and, so, and, and my boss came to me and offered me this huge, massive promotion. It was going to leap a few different steps, and, and so we just celebrated. We're, we're absolutely we're going to accept this, right? Vanessa's going to be able to quit her job. She's going to be able to stay at home. It's going to dramatically change our finances for the rest of our lives. It's going to break into a place of advancement in my career just a few weeks later, we're in a church service, right? We're in a church service, and the pastor from the pulpit says, we are going to hire a pastor of business administration to come on staff. And Vanessa and I looked at each other right at the same time and said, I'm supposed to do that. Right? We knew in our hearts. And, and just as that other promotion was going to change our lives dramatically financially, right? going into ministry was going to change our lives dramatically financially, but in a different direction. But I accepted this promotion. They had begun to make changes. They were, the organization was shifting and combining departments, but I went into my boss and I said, I, I, I know this is going to put you in a bad spot, but I'm going to have to rescind my acceptance. And I told her the story and they, and they knew that I was a follower of Christ. We were involved in a, living in the inner city and had, we did the public church service for the homeless once a week. They knew that was a huge part of my life. And so she was a great boss. She said, Fred, you got to do whatever's in your heart. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's not going to make any sense to the vice president, but you know, just we, we support you. You've got to do whatever you need to do. And so that was our big leap into vocational ministry in 1999 and it changed our lives forever we gave ourselves to that work I was on staff at that church for eight years had been a part of that church for 17 total and then the second big decision was when God began to speak to us about coming here Right? And so we were, had, had a, a great journey those eight years, and, and life was good for us. We had worked our way back into a place of, of, of just being safe financially. We had three young children, and, and this church started eight years ago, and Pastor Michael and Heather Giroux, who now pastor the city church in D.C., it's Vanessa's sister, and they were the founding pastors of this church. It was planted by Vanessa's dad, and we would come, I kid you not, we would come here on the way to vacation, 75 people meeting in a movie theater with not enough two pennies to scratch together people setting up and tearing down and we would get back in our car and drive to the Outer Banks and say, thank God that you're not asking us to do that. <laughs> right? 
The church we were at, money grew on trees, it seemed like, right? Multi-million dollar budget, generations of people that lived there, 1,500 people, 13 acres, buildings, complex, 25-some full-time staff. You know, it just, ministry was not too terribly difficult there. And little did we know that God was setting us up for one of the other biggest decisions of our lives. I'm just telling you, sometimes the biggest decisions that God asks us to, it feels like in the motion, in the, in the moment that it's a demotion. But I'm just telling you, if ever God asks you to take a step and it feels like it's going backwards, it's like a catapult. He's just getting you ready for your future. There is a destiny that you have been created from the foundations of the earth to run after. And I'm telling you, don't buy in. Now, you might be here and you've got some stuff in your life that is immoral. And maybe the conversation with you is different. And that's another conversation for another time. But Many of you here tonight, I believe that you are stuck in a place in your spiritual life and it has nothing to do with bad things that you're doing. It's because you have settled for good things when God has great things for you. I'm just telling you tonight that when he comes for me, I don't want there to be a look of disappointment on his face. He came for me and he came for you. He rose for me and he rose for you. But when he comes, let's Let's resolve in our heart today that we're going to do something for him. That he's going to find us in the place where he has called us. He's going to find us rolling up our sleeves and pouring out our lives for a divine destiny. And when he surprises us, whether it's in death, or when he surprises us, whether we are the generation that does not see death, that there is going to be a look that is a smile on his face because he found us in the place where he intended us to be. Revelation 22.20 says, He who is the faithful witness, who is speaking of Christ, to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. And then our response is, amen, come, Lord Jesus, come. You're going to invite the band to find their way back up here. Just going to keep you for a few more minutes tonight. Jamie's going to dig around in this a lot tomorrow morning. I can't wait to get there. I've seen the note. It's going to, it's, it's going to be an amazing time together. But as you dig around in the, into the last seven sayings of people to Jesus or about Jesus on the cross, you really, you really find that there are three dominant themes. Jamie's going to explore some more of these tomorrow, and I think he's calling them different things. But, but, but there, there are three of those themes are, are, are the types of people and the kind of response that they have while Jesus is dying. And one of the quotes people, and you might be here tonight and you're a quote person. And when Jesus was on the cross, they said, you said this, he said that, and maybe that's how you engage God. Maybe what you say is, God, if this is in the Bible and you've got something you like to quote, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. Maybe that's been a conversation you've had just this week. Well, doesn't the Bible say this and you quote something out of it? Can you imagine if someone had been following you around for the last five years of your life and there was a transcript of everything that you've ever said, every, every word that you've ever spoken, and somebody just pulls out a couple of words and says, I can't be your friend because of this. You'd be like, what is wrong with you? You're going to define me by this one thing? But yes, that's how people treat God all the time. And 100% of the time, those things that they pull out are things that are pulled out out of context. That's one of the great deceptions that the enemy brings to all of our lives. If you're here tonight and you're a quote person, let me encourage you to read the whole thing. Let me encourage you to go on a journey for the rest of this year where you read everything that God had to say, the whole transcript, the entire book. 
Don't start in the beginning. I'm going to invite you to start in the Gospel of Luke or John. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the first part's called the Old Testament. The second part's called the New Testament. About two-thirds of the way through, open it, and you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. John or Luke, start in one of those. Read the transcript of the heart of God that he has written to you. Don't make your decision about what you're willing to believe and what you're willing to be a part of until you read it all for yourself. They're the terms people. These are the negotiators. You might be here tonight and you've got a contract that you have prepared for God. And you say, God, if you will meet all of these terms for me, I will follow you all the days of my life. One of my favorite lines out of the Avengers movie is that an ant has no quarrel with a boot. God is a loving God, but he is the sovereign creator of the universe. And we do not negotiate with sovereignty, we surrender to sovereignty. And if you are a terms person, if you've got the contract that you've created that you bring to him, I'm saying you wanna set that thing aside and say, God, I want the life that you have for me. I want the story that you dream for me, no matter what it requires or no matter what it takes. I'm going to bring to you a blank sheet of paper, and I want you to write the dream that you've dreamed for me. And there are the proofs, people. When Jesus was on the cross, people said, if you were to do this, if you were to perform this miracle in this moment, I would believe you. And maybe some of you here tonight, you're waiting for God to do a miracle in you for you to give your heart to him. And can I just say, he has already done the greatest miracle that he can do by creating you. If you want to see a miracle, when you go home tonight in a quiet place where nobody else is around, you just stare at yourself in the mirror. And that's the greatest miracle that you will ever find on this earth. And he created you with intentionality. Even the brokenness that's in your life that you wish wasn't there, come on. God is saying, hey, there is nothing that's too big. There is nothing that's in your life that makes you ugly to me. You are my miracle and let something that is hungry, let something stir inside of you that says, God, I want the dream that you have dreamed for me. I want my identity to be in you. This is my last verse and as I read it, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Sarah's going to come up in just, just a second. Let me read this to you. It's Matthew 27, 54. 27, 54. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were, were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Sarah's going to come now and share something before we go into this moment of worship. Okay, so during worship um, earlier, the Lord showed me somebody bowing at a cross. Um, but almost bowed in shame, head bowed, and sorry, just really sorry. But the Lord says, get up, get up, get up, look up. I am not there anymore. I'm not there anymore. This is just the beginning. This is not a stopping point. The cross is not a stopping point. Would you come to my house and stand outside of the door and never come in? Stand up, get up. Get up, there's more in Jesus' name. Come on, that's good, that's good. Come on, you can clap for that. Tell you, we're gonna go into this song and to send this, these altars are open for you. I, I don't care if you're the only one that comes. If God is stirring in your heart in some way, then you, then you come, you come. I, I know you can meet God where you are. I'm just telling you there are times 
in my life where I have felt him to ask me to do something and it hadn't made sense to me. Sometimes it's just conditioning you to a life of obedience. If you want to pray with someone, there's someone on either side here tonight. If there is something in your life that you want to pray about, something that we've talked about tonight together, something that we've not talked about, don't leave here tonight silent. Come on, let's worship together.